Today's Advent reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, Zechariah's song. When the angel Gabriel first appeared to Zechariah to give him the news that his wife, Elizabeth, would bear a son, Zechariah questioned the angel because Elizabeth was past childbearing age. As a consequence for his doubt, Zechariah was made literally speechless until the angel's words were fulfilled. Zechariah's song after the birth of his son John is all the more powerful because it is the first thing he says after nine long months of silence. The first part of Zechariah's song is thanksgiving for God's gift of our Savior. It echoes some of the same themes in Mary's song, God's favor, God's mercy, God's remembering the promises made to God's people, and God's decisive action on the people's behalf. Perhaps Zechariah was present when Mary burst into song while visiting Elizabeth so that her words influenced his. Zechariah's addresses, <coughs> excuse me, Zechariah addresses the second part of his song directly to John, whose call is to prepare the way for the coming Savior. We can take to heart Zechariah's words to his newborn son as words for us also. When Zechariah sings, you, my child, will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Hear yourself as the one being addressed. Advent is a season of the church here that anticipates not only the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, but also his return at the end of time, when Christ will bring all things to fulfill the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom. Just as John the Baptist prepared the way for his cousin Jesus, we are called to prepare the way for the return of our Savior. How might we do that? We prepare the way, Zechariah suggests, when we speak the good news of forgiveness, when we give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and when our feet walk in the way of peace. Today we light the candle of thanksgiving to remember Zechariah's song of thanks. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 1, 57, 67 through 80. You can find this in your pew Bible on page 724. Follow along on, in your own Bible, or you can follow along in the bulletin as well. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will be prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness and of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and to the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his earthly ministry to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be 
Elizabeth, you're good. Just beautiful. Okay, I need to ask, I know we have a lot of parents of kids here. How many, raise your hand, grandparents, aunts, uncles, any other extended family of kids who perform? Okay, special welcome to you. So glad you are here and showing your support for your young ones. So we continue in our series of Sing of Christmas, where we're covering the songs related to Jesus' birth story. And last week we talked about the Magnificat, Mary's beautiful song. And this morning we talk about Zachariah's song of thanksgiving. It's called the Benedictus. Benedictus meaning blessing or giving of thanks. And you really do sense this thanksgiving from the beginning. If you look at verses 67 and 68, praise the Lord, often that is translated bless the Lord or give thanks to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior. Well, we just experienced Thanksgiving not long ago, and and we talked about that and kind of led ourselves up to that with the series called A Time to Psalm. And at some point during that series, Brock Miss Kelly came up to me. Is Brock in here? Brock, where are you? Yeah. He came up to me and he said, yeah, something came up to me the other day. We've been talking about thanksgiving and giving of thanks and everything. And he said, this is like, was kind of dropped to me. And he said it and I thought, gosh, that's so good. Because it reminded me of our calling to give thanks as a spiritual discipline every day. And what if we didn't do that? And he said this, what if we were given today only what we thanked God for yesterday? Think about, uh, that's his christened name okay uh but in all seriousness i love this what if we were given today only what we thanked god for yesterday think about that that's just really good deep stuff and that has continued to haunt me in terms of how often i have given thanks for this or that which is such an amazing gift however great however small and what if i received only what i gave thanks for the day before i just thought that was beautiful so thank you for that brock How thankful are we for Christmas and what it means to us? Because oftentimes our thankfulness can get distracted. As you know, we get preoccupied during these days. We get way too busy. And to be honest, whenever we are distracted during this season, Jesus gets neglected, maybe a little bit or maybe a lot, but he gets neglected. Reminds me of a story John Huffman talked about. How many of you have ever been at a white elephant exchange party how many of y'all have ever okay you, and you know what i'm talking about you have these awful christmas gifts that you have in some gift bag and you reach in there and pull out some awful thing and you either you know can keep that if you want it or get rid of it and take somebody else's it, it usually works that way well john huffman was having one of these uh, white elephant parties at his home And they were having a great time laughing it up, just looking at these horrible gifts and everything. And then someone, about the 10th person, reached into the bag, the gift bag, and pulled out something. And it kind of brought everything to a halt because it was a little statue of baby Jesus. This is, you know, white elephant, supposed to be a terrible gift and everything. And everybody, it was just very awkward, he said. And he was wondering what had happened, but then he realized it looked a lot like it was the baby from the nativity scene in the living room table. And sure enough, it had fallen into the gift bag. 
just somehow rolled off of there, went into the bag, and so that's why it was in there. And so he rescued baby Jesus, put him back into uh, the uh, manger, and everything was funny, and they thought that was great. Then they went on along. But John said, I thought about that later on, and I wondered to myself, how often when we get so caught up in our festivities and, and buying things and preoccupations during Christmas that really Jesus gets relegated in a sense to the white elephant bag. How often does, do we move him off of center stage, move him out of the spotlight, and he takes a back seat to a lot of other things? And we need to think about that because really Zechariah's song reminds us to keep Jesus central. It is so similar to Mary's Magnificat that we talked about last week where it's all about glorifying God and more specifically with Zechariah's song, it's really about glorifying his son Jesus. But Zechariah did not get off to a good start and I'm so glad that was a part of what Tommy read earlier. You probably know this story. Prior to Zechariah's song, the angel emphasis on angel, you know, visited Zechariah and said, hey, you know, do not fear. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. His name is going to be John, and he's going to pave the way, prepare the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. And Zechariah responds with this, well, how can I be sure? And Gabriel basically says, I am Gabriel, Normally, I stand in the presence of God Almighty most of my time, and he sent me down here to this earth to you to tell you that you're going to have this son named John. But because of your lack of belief, you're not going to be able to what? Does anybody know? Talk. Exactly. Good one. Not going to be able to talk until after John is born. And sure enough, he cannot talk after that. So if you're taking notes today, note to self, when an angelic supernatural being tells you something is going to happen, don't say, well, how can I be sure? Okay? Just say, I believe. Bring it on. Just go that way. So later on in the book of, of Luke, it's great because in the, her six months of pregnancy, uh, Elizabeth is visited by her younger cousin whose name is Mary. And Mary comes along and says, this is incredible. I heard about your story. I'm going to have a baby too. And God visited me uh, uh, through, the, through an angel. And I'm going to give birth to a son, and it's God's son, and he's going to be the Messiah. And, and they celebrate together. They're just so excited because you know Elizabeth is saying, oh, that's your son, and, and my son gets to pave the way for him and celebrate that. So they celebrated together. And then Elizabeth said, and that's not all. My husband hasn't been able to talk for several months. And so they celebrated some more. It's a... <laughs> but eventually Zechariah was able to speak again, and all was well, and, and even better, he was able to sing. And, and his song teaches us two vital truths about following the newborn king. First of all, it's not your story, it's God's story. And Zechariah's song is reminiscent of Mary's. Last week we talked about Mary's Magnificat. It's, it's ten verses. And we highlighted every time that she says he and his and him. It's all about pointing to God. Same thing, but more specifically about Jesus, really, in Zechariah's story. Excuse me, his song, actually. Ten verses, same thing, just pointing back to God, pointing to his son, Jesus. In fact, you can look at verses uh, 68 through 70. This is the very beginning. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long 
ago. Same thing, just like the Magnificat, it's just beautiful. He knows also and embraces his son's role. He knows that his son is not taking the spotlight, he's not in the middle of it, he's pointing the way to the the Messiah, which really points us to a second truth, which is it's not your son, it's God's son. You know, it would have been easy for Zechariah at this point to put his son in the center and really celebrate him, give him the blessing, talk all about his baby, but he doesn't. He realizes the bigger picture, and he accepts his role with joy. He accepts his son's role with joy, and really, John later on emulates that as well. You know, he realizes it's all about the Messiah. You look at verses 76 through 78. He says, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. Talking about his son, John. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And John emulates this humility later on. You remember, and it's, it's cousin Jesus. I mean, that's his cousin. But there comes this point where he doesn't just greet him by saying what? Hello, cousin Jesus. No, he says, behold, the Son of God, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to say what? I am not worthy to loosen his sandals. He understood and accepted his role. He, he realizes, what, what did he say? Do you remember? He must increase and I must what? Decrease. And that was his attitude. That was his spirit. He really was the setup guy. He really was the setup person. And, and, and it reminds us again, what if you and I were to view our Christmas celebration as being the setup people for Jesus? That everything we do, everything we say, what our attitudes are, the words that we share, even as we're getting presents, giving presents, doing all these things, going out to visit people, what if we realized we are here to set up for Jesus and place him in the middle of everything? Knowing your place in the Christmas story. We must decrease, he must increase. We are the forerunners of Christ. You know, it, and, and I was so glad, that was so cool, I don't know where Tommy is, so glad that what he read talked about the fact that, yeah, we do celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but really we are in that unique position now to talk about the second coming of Jesus and celebrate that and tell people about that. It reminds me of what we call in our clan, Second Christmas. You know, we all don't get down to Fairhope, Alabama at the same time. Most of us get there on Christmas Day, and it's great, and we love on each other and feast with each other and swap gifts and thank each other and just have a wonderful time of celebration. But not all the family is there. Some of the family is with other immediate or extended family somewhere else. And so after a few days, we have second Christmas. And there's even more people. It's even better. It's even greater because it's even more people and more feasting and, and gift swapping and, and just being there with one another and loving one another and, and being there together. That's second Christmas. And Ad, Advent is the time for us to celebrate first Christmas, but also Second coming, we could call it second Christmas, because second Christmas is coming. We don't know when it's going to be. Jesus himself even said, only God the Father knows, but it's going to come along. Second Christmas is coming. And you know what? Second Christmas is coming, and at that point, death will be no more. Second Christmas is coming, there will be no more grief or sorrow. Second Christmas is coming, and people whom we have lost long ago will be reunited with them. And what a joy that will be. Second Christmas is coming. There will be no more poverty. Second Christmas is coming. There will be no more hatred. There will be no more division. 
There will be no more hatred and illness, no more anxiety and depression. Second Christmas is coming and all will be made new. So let's take this song of Zechariah to its logical end. Take it to the full distance and remind ourselves that we are uniquely positioned now to celebrate not just first Christmas, but second Christmas together. So let's pave the way, prepare the way for not just first Christmas, but second Christmas. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Let me ask you a question and you engage in the spiritual discipline of meditation. In what way can you be doing better at preparing the way for Jesus, for someone else? In some way, how can you be a prophet, just like John, pointing the way to Jesus for someone else? It may be through words. It may be through serving someone in some way. It might be through improving your attitude toward some situation or toward some person. It may be toward forgiving someone or asking forgiveness from someone. In what way can you help pave the way for the coming of Jesus the second time? Lord, help us to imitate your servant John pointing the way to you helping others see you help us to celebrate in a way that goes beyond the manger and even beyond the cross and even beyond the resurrection but to that day that will be like no other and where all will be pure victory, pure love, pure grace, pure peace, pure eternal life. Thank you for that. May that give us reason to sing. In your name we pray. Amen.